0: Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, this morning as we continue our Walks of Faith sermon series with Rev. Amy, our reading presents itself from the Gospel according to Matthew. Written between 80 and 90 CE, this beautifully written Gospel account, it might surprise you to know, comes to us from an unknown author. Our best guess is that it was written in Antioch sometime after the destruction of the temple in 70 CE by a Jewish Christian, a well-educated person whose knowledge of the Hebrew scripture suggests some scribal training. In general, Matthew's gospel speaks to issues that reflect the Jewish people's concerns after the destruction of the temple. How is God present with us now, they were asking. What is the continuing value of the Torah or our scriptures? And most importantly, how and when will God's promise be fulfilled? As we approach the scene in our text this morning, Jesus has just received some bad news. He received the news of John the Baptist's execution and has attempted to retreat to grieve his loss. Yet crowds were following him and swell in number to over 5,000 people. And when his disciples urged Jesus to send the crowds away to find food, Jesus, with nothing more than five loaves of bread and two fish, miraculously feeds the entire gathering. As night begins to settle in, Christ, no doubt still weary from the day, again seeks solitude. So let us turn now and hear about what happens next as recorded in the gospel according to Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 36. Immediately, he made the disciples get into a boat and go on to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone But by this time, the boat battered by the waves was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, He became frightened and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And after the people of that place recognized him, they sent word to that whole surrounding region and people brought all who were sick to him and begged him that they might touch even the fringe of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed. May God add a blessing. To the reading of this word. In the name of love we offer up our broken hearts. In the name of God we fight for those who are hurt like us. In the Jesus way we heal the world through sacred scars. In the name of love
1: Next to turning water into wine, the image of Jesus walking on water may be the source of the most Christian memes ever. And if you're not quite sure about miracles, maybe you're just a little bit curious about what happened on the night there at the Sea of Galilee. So, for fun today, let's just try to imagine ourselves as part of this story, a witness to this wonder of Jesus. Now, when you first hear this story, maybe your mind wanders to a traveling version of Baywatch Jesus, let's say. Trunks on and ready for the rescue. Here comes Jesus. Or maybe your mind conjures up this image of Jesus decked out in a flowing white robe, calm, cool, collected, while his frightened disciples huddle together, squenched in a boat. Or maybe your mind goes to poor Peter, treading water about to sink with an outstretched hand of Jesus extended, ready to scoop him up and pull him aboard, all wet and soggy. But maybe, maybe your mind goes to the disciples, the ones shaking their head at Peter once again with the thought bubble, bless his heart, he tried, poor Peter. If we are truthful, though, our story is perhaps a little like Peter's. We try, often solo, we step out, we fall flat, finding ourselves ever more in the need of the grace and help and support of God and a boatload of friends. How often do we seek to be like Jesus and live like Jesus, only to realize we are so not Jesus? Throughout our lives, we are reminded that we cannot make it on our own or make it very far from the boat that Jesus has in fact given us to navigate these storms of life. If we go back to the scene and look a little deeper at the context and the characters, we can see layers to the story and perhaps find ourselves in the story too. Memes aside, this is one of those stories in the Bible that a lot of people turn a skeptical eye to. I mean, I've heard questions from, did Jesus really do that? To, do you personally have a reasonable account of what happened on the sea that day, as if I were there? It is understandable, my friends, that inquiring minds want to know and Could he have actually walked along the shoreline, kind of close to the boat, or was the water just shallow? I don't know, but we can imagine, we can imagine ourselves there and what we might have been feeling too that night. The best question ever about this story of Jesus, this miracle came to me from a seven-year-old who asked if Jesus had special shoes to walk on the water because he wanted to make sure to have a pair too, and those to his Christmas list that particular year. Like some of you, I too wonder about this miracle of Jesus— about what went down and what can we actually trust to be true when we face these storms of life. Now scientists are even kind of on this miracle conversation with us trying to discern what happened in the water that night. National Public Radio and the New York Times have both reported that researchers have determined that Jesus in fact Could have walked on water. Combining evidence of a cold snap that happened over 2,000 years ago with sophisticated mapping of the Sea of Galilee, Israeli and US scientists have come up with a scientific explanation for it all. Their answer Jesus was actually floating on ice. Who knew? Who knew? So whether you are with the scientist or the special shoes theory or somewhere in between, this miracle story is placed in the Gospels for a reason. Perhaps for you and me in the storms of our life, this too gives us a place to stand. So rather to simply dismiss it as a myth or explain it all away let's explore why it was included for the people of that time and where we too can find ourselves in the story. Among scholars, there is general agreement that the Gospel of Matthew was not written to be a history. This is not how the authors wrote or rewrote the scriptures or how they expected their work to be read. In fact, it's not even how Jesus spoke or really at all what the word was intended to be. You see, the the gospel, this particular story, isn't so caught up in the understanding of whether it is true or not. And in fact, the, the idea of reading it simply as historical fact is an idea that comes from the Protestant Reformation not from the people at the time. So let's imagine, if you will, what exactly was facing the challenges of the people following Jesus of that time. Those who first heard Matthew's walking on water story, faced a growing threat, a threat of their very lives from Rome. You see, in the Roman Empire, Everyone was expected to be worshiping the emperor. The Roman emperor Nero publicly persecuted Christians. And before Nero was even finished with his reign of terror, Peter himself was crucified and Paul was beheaded. So you see, for the people hearing this story at the time, fear was very real. And it makes sense that these early believers, these Christians would hear this story in Matthew and relate to being tossed around in this terrible storm that they were facing because their very lives were at stake. Our understanding of the context of this story grows if we look at the role of water in Hebraic thought and see how water itself represents chaos and disorder, a very threat to human life. So you see, Jesus and walking on the water becomes divinely connected to God, a God on whose command the Red Sea parted and the people were able to make it to dry land and flee from Pharaoh's army. So the author of Matthew makes it clear that Jesus in this moment is identifying himself with that same God, and that the words of Jesus are actually intended to offer us courage and comfort, much like they did to the ones who first heard the story. Now, the text paints an image that after a night-long, arduous battle for their lives, the disciples were understandably afraid. And when they saw Jesus coming towards them, they, in fact, were terrified, we hear. They didn't recognize him, and they cried out in their fear. It's then that Jesus identifies himself and addresses their fear with the imperative, fear not. Now these words may sound familiar to you because they are the same words that we hear when the angel appears to Mary, fear not. They are also the same words offered to the women standing amid an empty tomb. Fear not. Do not be afraid, you see, is a clear and divine assurance amid fear and danger, even when there is, in fact, cause to be afraid. I have to say, though, for me and maybe some of you, that voice isn't always so clear because fear is very real. It lives in our bodies and in our nervous systems. It responds in primal ways like flight, fight, or freeze. Because our instinctual response to fear is wound up in our humanity. Now, reading this story, I do think we have to give it up a little bit for Peter who steps out of the boat to walk on the water towards Jesus. Peter, perhaps, is a little boastful and an overachiever, but quickly discovers that Jesus' words of assurance did not mean that the dangerous wind and storm would stop. In fact, Peter was so frightened for his life once again, and with good reason, he was distracted and began to sink into the turbulent sea. So in Matthew, Jesus' response to Peter after rescuing him could imply to us here today that Peter's failure was due to a lack of faith, depending on which version of the gospel text that you read. It's found in three of the gospels. But I find it hard to believe that the takeaway here is that Peter would have succeeded if he only had more faith or that he would have drowned because of a moment of doubt. Now, some preachers take this story, this miracle story, and, and they present it to encourage more faith to people, for us all to be like Peter and step out of the boat, But I think when we do that, we kind of gloss over Peter's very real human feelings. Peter's fear of danger is a justifiable fear, especially when the shock wore off. It reminds me of times when I've taught my kids how to ride a bike or how to swim. It's like they they get going and they're so excited and then they get caught up in the moment and they realize they're actually doing it and fear sets in, and they fall, or they become afraid. That water in the pavement, the fear in the sea of that day was very real. Because fear is a natural response to circumstances beyond our control. It's like when the biopsy report shows up and tells you that, in fact, it is cancer. Or when you lose your job and you're facing a big stack of bills to pay. Fear is real. Fear is not just the result of a lack of faith, as some might say. Several years ago, there was a a self-help movement kind of based on this very passage. And there was a pastor who wrote a book titled, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat. In essence, he says, if you never leave the safety of the boat, you'll never walk on water. But interpreted this way, Matthew 14 becomes some sort of perceived model of Christian behavior, and it feels moralistic. Peter's initial faith is watered down and seen as a faith in some ways to be emulated, And his subsequent failure to not be able to walk on water is seen as something to be avoided, a doubt to be avoided. But I think if we understand it only this way, in this bottom line approach to faith, it implies that if we do it all right, we too can walk on water. I haven't seen it yet. Maybe you've heard a lot of sermons and motivational calls to action about walking on water or the faith of Peter, speaking to courage and faith and boldness, telling you to just push through the fear, step out of your comfort zone, pray hard enough. But if I'm completely honest, when I read this text, and for most people I know, facing life in the middle of a storm, and all the stressors of life, if they only heard the text that way, it actually leaves people feeling worse, which can be really, really harmful. You see, the the core of this text, I don't believe at all, is centered on human effort or achievement, a kind of try harder, pull yourself up by your bootstraps sort of approach to faith, explaining away our doubt and our fear. I mean, think about it. Would that be encouraging to you if you were facing threats, drowning in life's hardships, whether they be emotional, financial, physical? I mean, it's, it's kind of easy to focus on Peter and Jesus in this story, but I think there is something here for us today us as a community of faith, and that can be found in the response of the disciples, the ones that stayed in the boat. I think that actually took some faith too. Aside from Peter, these disciples were not the flashy ones. They weren't trying to be more than they were. They were human. They likely never thought of themselves as heroic. They too probably had fears and doubts, and they were just trying to stay afloat. Mark Twain wrote that courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, but not the absence of it. That's how I picture the disciples that day and how I picture us as a community of faith. Courageous and fearful do not cancel out one another maybe, just maybe, it's the disciples' faith who made all the difference that day. Father Richard Rohr described this type of faith another way, saying that real faith is actually the type of faith that is able to hold an increasing amount of chaos in life alongside of a spacious way of being that is non-controlling able to receive what's happening and hold on to nothing. For faith-filled people, he says, find it unnecessary to secure themselves because they are, in fact, secure at a deeper level. So secure that they can make room for their doubts, their fears, their questions, and for other people. My friends, as Christians, we are fortunate to have a community of faith, a group of people called and wanting to walk alongside of us through the calmy and stormy seas of life. Often in our prayers and our struggles and our joys and our livings, we find ourselves in the same boat with one another, navigating the seas of life the harshness and the depths of darkness, death, despair. And it's also true that there are a growing number of people in our world who have jumped ship, left church, and even more who will never step foot in our building because they have been told they don't have the faith of Peter or the right kind of faith or that life somehow could have been different if they would have just prayed hard enough. These moralistic overtones and spiritual bypasses are not enough to keep people in church, to get them in the door, or to keep us afloat when hard things and chaos happens in our lives. And in fact, if we simply stop there, people leave feeling empty, alone, worse And they did when they walked in the door and not welcomed. Author and social scientist, Brene Brown, shares that there was actually a time in her life when she went to church thinking that church would be some sort of epidural and just take away all of her pain. What she came to realize, though, is something very different. That it was actually through her doubt and her fear that she realized that church wasn't like an epidural at all, but more like a midwife. Initially, what she thought of as her own failure of faith, because she was drowning like Peter and couldn't pull herself up or couldn't pray enough for God to take away her pain, led her to a faith grounded in God. And an understanding of a Jesus who walks with us, sits with us in the boat, in the midst of life's pain and hardship. If we are truly being the church, that's what we offer to one another. A boat, a place to be, where there's always room for others. You see, at the essence of this text, I think there's a reminder that whatever storms we face, that Jesus is in fact with us, offering presence, assurance, comfort, and peace. So no matter how it all went down that night, if Jesus can walk on water and face a storm, he can also walk with us in life's overwhelming chaos and problems. But I think we got to be clear. There's no magic wand here, and not necessarily if we read on, a change in the stormy seas. Because we were afraid. We saw the circumstances. Often in our lives, we are afraid. Yet we can still see that Jesus is in the boat with us. And we can be reminded as being a part of a community of care that others are in the boat too. Perhaps here in the text, we find that like the disciples, we have a calling. You, me, us as a community of faith here at St. Andrew, that we can be a community of care who stay on the boat ready to welcome, to offer a hand, a place to sit, to make a meal, making space and sanctuary for the weary souls of the world who are simply tired of trying to do it on their own. Friends, I pray that it is in our struggle, that it is in our doubt and our questions that we recognize our shared humanity on this walk of faith, and that we come to realize, in fact, We are on the same boat, just trying to find our way home. And we can never get there alone. When we share our vulnerability and our humanity with one another, much like Peter and the disciples, it's not a failure. It's actually a comfort. Barbara Brown Taylor once said, If there is a miracle worth savoring in this story, It's not that Jesus could walk on water or that Peter managed the same trick for a moment or two. No. The miracle is that when it was all said and done, while a soggy, chagrined Peter sputtered seawater out of his lungs and the boat continued to bob around in the chaos of the sea, that in the dead of night, somehow in the midst of all of that, the disciples realized that no one less than God's own Son was sitting right there with them, beside them. And it is that that they believed. They welcomed Peter back in the boat. They rode on together, further than they could ever do alone. This is my hope, my prayer for us as a community of faith. That we are indeed on this boat together, taking, shepherding, guiding, being with one another as Jesus is with us on our way home. Our takeaways for today are simply this, courage is acknowledging fear, not a lack of faith. And God, my friends, is with us in the boat, felt, known, a presence of peace. And it is when we share our vulnerability and humanity with one another, comfort comes in knowing that we are on the same boat together. May it be so.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit gosaintandrew.com. See you next week.